Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, it's episode three of our Premier League previews and we start in Manchester. One club looks destined to win the league at a canter. The other is Manchester United. It's been a suitably baffling summer at Newcastle. Can Steve Bruce win over the fans and get the best out of newly acquired assets like Joel Linton, Maxim and the Jack Wills clothing brand? Plus, what can we expect from two newly promoted sides in Norwich City and Sheffield United? Are they doomed to relegation or is there more to them than meets the eye? Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm delighted to welcome for the first time this season, returning hero, JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? I'm great, Tom. Did my coaching badges this summer. That's good. What sort of badge was it? I'm now a Scottish FA level, 1.3 level, coach level. Great, great. (laughs) It's really fun. What does that mean you can do? It means I'm allowed to coach people. I don't think any clubs will hire me yet. But if you're listening... No. <laughs> there you go. A come and get me, please. Straight off the bat <laughs> alongside him. It's Mina Rizuki. What's happening, Mina? Hi, I feel like uh Matt really missed you there, JJ. So he wasn't he wasn't happy with just, you know, me and Ali yesterday. No, I did reference it yesterday. What was it I wanted him for? It's some tactical rubbish, Pepe. wasn't it? It's some tactical thing that Mina oh, yeah. smashed out the park straight after you said it. Did yeah. I? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Look at this. Team spirit at an all-time high. Matt Law, can you continue this or are you going to ruin it for everyone? I'll ruin it for everyone. You're the bad apple in this group. I'll, yeah, I'll always ruin it for everyone. <laughs> Who are you leaking to, Matt? Sorry? Who are you leaking to? <laughs> Anyone. <laughs> Do you like his haircut? Hey, Matt Tucker. Mm, no, I only cost a tenner this today, just Don, on my way in. Don't get a hair check. We're not the Guardian, Mina. Right, let's <laughs> get going with our alphabetical run-through of the Premier League. We made it all the way to M, which means it's Manchester City first up. JJ, you like Man City an awful lot, but what can the City team do to improve this season? Well, I don't imagine they'd be able to get the same number of points again, but the they, they should win the title again based on, I, I think... Uh, Liverpool were above their XG last season. I think it's very important. XG and XP, or well, points, I should say, to be more specific. And Man City were pretty much where they should be. Uh, again, they're a little bit over, but I think that's that kind of Messi versus Ronaldo, Liverpool versus Man City thing. We push each other a bit harder and you get these different bits over the line. But they've added a uh, bit of quality. In that, uh, Rodri, I think you like him, Mina, don't you? Yeah, I'm obsessed with him. I think he's one of the best midfielders in the world. 
So um, he's meant to be their new number six who plays in that kind of holding role. I'd imagine he'll be coached along with Fernandinho and will play a lot in place of Fernandinho, who is going to spend a lot of the season at centre-back, which is basically what Guardiola did with uh, Javi Mascarano and Javi Martinez as well, just putting these boys back. The good thing about Rodri, because one of the things Man City have identified as their weakness is that, uh, is that set pieces and stuff, and Rodri's tall, so it's good for heading away things. But that, yeah, they should be winning the title again, you would have thought. I definitely think they're going to smash it and I think they're going to do better even than last year, to be honest, because I think they've filled some gaps in the sense that now they have um, Jao Cancelo as well from Juventus. I don't know if it's... It's not confirmed yet. It's being confirmed. It might as well be, yeah. Yeah. Um, Juventus have basically like already talked about it and um, he is not the world's most defensive player and that was his downfall at Juventus because obviously we prefer defence first and attack later. But he's kind of the other. But he was much of the reason why we had sort of a lot of success going forward, a lot of success for Ronaldo. His crosses are sensational. He's so good in in running that flank. Defensively, again, is where my problems are with City. And while I think Rodri is a huge um, important figure to have there, he is a Cholo Simeone player, so he understands all of that. My worry for them still is that if Fernandinho goes into centre-back, I, I don't think that's a great move for them. And again, it's about the defensive unit. You saw how much Liverpool were better in the Community Shield in the second half when the whole team plays as a unit, presses high up and, and, and really tries to consolidate that midfield is there for protection. I don't know if necessarily Pep can get the team to do that because even Imeric Laporte, who's one of the best centre-backs in England was left on one-on-one occasions and several times in Europe and then that causes problems and his players aren't really good at the back when it comes to one-on-ones and even when he wanted to target a foreign centre-back in the likes of Leonardo Bonucci he's the only guy at Juventus who's not good in a one-on-one so I'm not that is the only thing that I have a fear for I, I don't know because they they know how to adapt and they have adapted to sort of being a little bit more conservative in some approaches in their games last season, Man City. So I hope they can build on that going forward. They're close to perfection. And um, and for the Premier League, I think they're close to perfection largely and, and that they'll win it with ease because I'm not entirely sure Liverpool can copy what they did last season. We spoke a bit, Mina, last year about City's failure to win the Champions League. Is Rodri the sort of player they need to improve markedly in that competition or are the problems still at the back, as you've explained, about the uh, not being so strong in one-on-one situations? Is that what hurts the most in Europe? Yeah, I think it is the fact that they are exposed. And, and I feel like f- he's lost what three knockout games with Man City and those three he conceded 15 goals, uh, apparently, or something close to that. Um, you saw when he was at Bayern Munich, Pep Guardiola, how many goals he conceded on the semi-final level against Bayern Munich, uh, sorry, against uh, rather against Barcelona, Manchester, uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. It's it's something that, you know, sometimes he wants his plan A, which is the attacking force, to be so good. And if it's not good, then sometimes you'll need your defence to kick in. But it kind of, he needs the, the, the forwards and he needs the whole team to play so well going forward that they don't need to defend, that they can hold possession, that they can showcase their best football all the time. But if there are cracks in that and Man City aren't as equipped perhaps on an experience level as previous teams that Pep has coached, then you are going to need to rely on defence and you can't leave Laporte one-on-one. Rodri is very, very good. And for me, he's an upgrade on Fernandinho. And you saw how much they miss Fernandinho when he was absent. But again, it's about that centre-back partnership, whether or not they can have some balance when it comes to these big uh, European games. 
they are the one of the best squads in the world and they have the depth and they and they are so good going forward. So perhaps they'll be so much better going forward that it'll be fine for them to not have such a great back line. We know that David Silva is off at the end of the season. Matt, company's obviously gone already. Aguero getting on a little bit now. Is this going to be the end of an era for City at the end of this season? It could be. It could be a bit of a changing of the guard, couldn't it? Slowly but surely. And also, you know, you've got to wonder whether this could be Guardiola's last season. I mean, they've got a potential Champions League ban hanging over them. Um, were they to get banned for next season's Champions League, you wonder whether that would come into his thinking at all, if he actually won the Champions League this season and completed everything. But So that there is a feeling maybe that this season is kind of the last season of that, of that maybe era and it's all going to change around a little bit some stage soon. Um, just to go back on the centre-backs, I find it slightly odd that they were willing to go to 65 for Maguire and then not kind of do anything else. I mean, I know Liverpool did a similar thing with Van Dijk, but I think they always knew they were going to get Van Dijk. Um, I can't believe that there's no one else out there as good as Maguire. I mean, they seem to have a sniff around Nathan Aki as well, because they've got a bit of a homegrown player issue, and he would count as a homegrown player. Um, So I always find it slightly odd when clubs do that. However, I also think when you're looking for a title winner, it's in the top four, it's quite a good way to do it, is to look at who has got what they needed out the transfer window the best. And and last summer, actually, I thought it was Liverpool and it got them very close. Um, a few seasons ago, when Chelsea won it under Mourinho and they got Costa and Fabregas, I thought they had a really good window there. And I, I think, you know, City, have, out of all of them, have, have got what they needed pretty much and, and plugged those gaps. I hope they use Eric Garcia, that centre-back that they brought in from Barcelona. Who I hope they use Foden. And yeah, I mean, some of the, the, the kids, they, I would love they to can. see Foden. Who else is coming through on the kids' front? We know all about Foden, but there's a sort of very uh, well-established pipeline now uh, coming through in a footballing supermen development laboratory at Manchester City. Who, who's next <laughs> on that? Uh... Should I tell you about Eric Garcia? Please do. So he's the 18-year-old centre-back brought in from Barcelona. He captured the youth level at every oh, stage. This is, a, this is a new kid coming through. Yeah. yeah, and he's uh, he's honestly one of the best centre-backs and it was hugely controversial when it was Puyol, obviously a legend at Barcelona, who decided to take this player and bring him to Manchester City. And Barcelona feel like they've lost one of the future captains, a guy that was going to mimic what uh, the great centre-backs like Puyol and PK did at the back. And he's now gone to City, so I'm really excited and I really hope that they choose to play him because I just imagine him next to the port would be something nice to watch. Well, yeah, and the thing is, like, at least they're not just spending money on a player they don't especially need, like Maguire, who I think mm. is fine. I don't think he's worth, I mean, assuming it into what they're worth. They're worth whatever pay, anyone pays for them. But at least there's space for Garcia in that team. And because City have the most possession of any team ever, about 68% or something in most of their games, 70% plus, they don't need players who can head away things or, or just clear danger. They need players who can play with the ball. So they need, And it's kind of hard to find those. Often you convert midfielders into defenders, which is what Guardiola's done a lot. And it's what they're trying to train Garcia to do. And it, it, like the way that like, like Walker, Kyle Walker is a right-back, but really he's a centre-back at the moment because the way they play with a three. And then that suits the way that um, Guardiola's played in the past at Barca and Bayern are putting a three. So you can put these midfielders back into defence. So you just constantly have playmakers all over the place. But I don't... No, that any of these youth players will get will get through into the, the first team this year. But Phil Foden, like Guardiola the other day, was saying how it's one of the most talented players. I mean, he says this every I time. Say, yeah. Yeah. But he just he's so trying, to, trying to build the confidence in these players and make them feel amazing because that'll help them along. 
and he should get game time. He was getting games a lot at the end of last season, and he does produce when he's on the pitch. So there is room for him to play in that midfield. Well, let's move on now to the new team of Harry Maguire that is, of course, Manchester <laughs> United. What do you make of their signings, Matt? Maguire, Aaron Wambasaka, Daniel James, uh, all quite notable names, but this is a definite change in tack, isn't it, from the Angel Di Maria style of it's, buying famous people from more Europe. Back it's still to, loads of money there. It's still <laughs> loads of money. It's It feels more like back to what we remember of United in the in the Ferguson days of buying the sort of best British players and, and young players and not just going for the, the outright star names from the off. Um, look, whatever you make of the transfer fees, there's been a lot obviously said about 85 million for Maguire, 50 million for Wan-Bissaka. I think if you get three British young players for roughly about 150 million in this market, it's not the worst. I'm not going to claim it's great value, but I don't think it's the worst. And I, I think all three of them will prove to be very good signings over over time for them. I quite like their business at the moment. If they could get in um, a midfielder as well by the close of Thursday, I actually think they've done quite well. And also, again, looking at the way that Solskjaer set it up to to specifically put players up from the youth academy who are ready to play now in the first team, and they've got Mason Greenwood, who should break through the season, a really good player, got some games at the end of the last season. He's a striker, but he can play across the front three. Uh, Angel Gomez as well is getting game time. He's a kind of tricky forward. Tyth Chong is a left-footed right-inside forward who can come and do a job as well. He's played some games recently and looks to be in the squad this time. So if you buy players, you're going to remove their space and their pathway and you end up losing these talented players. James Garner is another one who's starting to get in the team. He's a really highly rated midfielder. I like that. I think it's good that they're trying to build that core and make sure that youth players are getting It looks like Twan will get a go as well. And, you know, he, he is definitely a player of talent at the back. Um, and they, if they, if they come they've on got right, a strategy, though. That it's the first transfer window in ages where you can see their strategy. Yeah. And it's not just... just less scattershot. Yeah. yeah, just go out and blow a load of money on the latest superstar. I, do, I, I think there's a lot of confusion there because we spoke about, you know, how good it is that, that they seem to be giving youth a chance. And then the minute they were handed a brand name in Paolo Dybala, it was like, oh my God, we have to get this guy. Um, I'm glad that in the end they realised that the fact that he really doesn't want to come is something to put them off. But again, it's not like he, they seem to have looked at his stats or what he's done in the last three years at Juventus because he hasn't, he's been poor for them. He's wonder, not lived up to the potential. I wonder if it makes sense then to go after English players specifically or at least players who've been brought up here. By all uh, means. Because there's still such a big deal in people's minds, even if they haven't been brilliant for the last five a, years, which is probably less relevant to someone like Dybala maybe. Yeah, exactly. So it's like stick to what it is that you know. And I think their forward line is pretty stacked, whether it's youth players or whatever they have already, you know, from Martial to Rashford to obviously Mason Greenwood and Daniel James. Like let's give all these kids a chance as well. But my feeling is that you you need to have a nice mix and I think their midfield is very poor, if I'm honest. I don't think it's something that I look at and I think this is a strong midfield. What Scott McTominay, Nemanja Matic, Fred, Andreas Pereira, I mean, the kids will come in, hopefully, and, and try to make an effort, but... While their backline, I think, is so much better, especially with Juan Bissaka. I'm a huge fan of this kid. I mean, he is—he had a sensational season last year, and he's someone who actually knows how to defend despite being such a, a flying uh, fullback. But, and I think that will really help De Gea, who had problems last season, and having an actual you know line to work with this time round that don't look to be as confused as last season, then he'll probably do better too. But I do think that midfield... I mean, we, you know, we think Pogba, hopefully he'll rise and hopefully he'll stay because Real Madrid really do want to bring him in. But there is a worry for me that, OK, go for the English, go for that. But at the end of the day, this is a commercial 
club who rely a lot on their commercial and sponsorship deals. And if you want to continue making the money, which I'm sure they do, they're going to need to also like venture and bring in players that are high quality. And if you are a midfielder that's coming in or you are a, a young forward that's coming in, you want to learn from the best. I think they'll finish top four. I think they'll be pushing it all season. Uh, it's really hard to, to call who's going to be in that mm. top six. The it's top so player. hard. I think they will. I think United will finish top four this season. I think we'll really see um, quite early on what they've been working on in pre-season. And like Solskjaer was saying during last season, it's so important they got this pre-season now to, to coach them a different way. So Mourinho had them coach to play in his certain way. And you can't just change their fitness regimes and levels during a season because you're going to kill all your players. So... Solskjaer will have worked on, uh, players have said that they've been working on uh, pressing higher up the pitch to engage, have a higher line of engagement, which will mean a higher defensive line. So they might move that 5, 10 metres up the pitch or something like that. But then they have to uh, train in different ways to, to combat that because if Mourinho's team is set up to be a different way, his mm. training methods, it's not, it, they don't make players run up and down mountains anymore and hills. They just, they have a, well, it's tactical periodization is a thing that Mourinho brought into England. But it means that you're ever, all your training is done to mimic what you're going to do in the game. It's all done with the ball. And it sounds like Solskjaer has changed that a little bit to be what he was used to more. Um, it's also interesting that Mike Phelan also, because he's the one that gave Maguire his big chance at Hull. So that mm. must be another reason why Maguire came in. Good shout. I think we'll see Man United will be more like the Man United we know of old. But I think um, Mina's absolutely right with the midfield being the, one of the weakest of the top teams. Yeah, you'd like to see a midfielder come in. We have this from Daryl Celestine, who emailed AFC podcast at telegraph.co.uk, who said, I think Man United made good defensive signings with Wan-Bissaka and Maguire, bringing the back four close to the other big teams. I still think they're like a defensive shield like the other big clubs, players like Fernandinho, Kante, Henderson, hmm, and Dombele. <laughs> My question is, how much better can a defence be without a player like that shielding? Matic does not have the legs anymore. I think Daryl's correct. It, it depends on so many different things. It's not just one. I mean, some players are still good. They'll make a huge difference individually in that certain bit of the pitch. But it depends how you want to defend. It depends if someone makes a mistake at a certain point up the pitch. You don't. You can't plan for mistakes. You you just have to have your team set up in a way to create chances in the way you want. Be out of transition in the way that you want. Be in possession in the way you want. It helps having defensive players in your team to be defensive, but. Often the best way of defence is by attacking, by pushing up higher up the pitch. So you have better attacking players. Um, you see like Arsenal bought all these attacking players. They might be really good at defending this year because they're so high up the pitch and they're so dangerous. Same as Liverpool, everyone's terrified of them. So people sit off them, which means their defence is under less pressure because they're sitting back. That might be a thing you see. I would have gone for SMS, uh, Milinkovic-Savage. And they were linked to him quite a lot. Um, he's a complete midfielder. He's not exactly a defensive midfielder. No, he's much better going forward. But he is... He's box to box. He's way, box yeah. to box, but he is... I mean, to be honest, I would have sold Pogba and just used the money to buy myself a defensive midfielder, to buy myself SMS, maybe even go for Donny van de Beek, um, which is the second choice to Pogba for Real Madrid. You know, he's hardworking and he can be very good in the defence as well. I, I would have completely redone that midfield. And because, you know, the point that we made about Leicester was that they don't necessarily have that much at the back, but their midfield is so stunning that I'm interested to to watch that. And... Uh, that that's the only thing that worries me about them. Well, a potential explanation for the transfer uh, strategy or lack thereof, Mina, as you seem to think. Uh, Samarth Goyal asks, why are Manchester United still not hiring a director of football? Do they not believe it will bring them any good or is it something that Ed Woodward might be objecting to? <laughs> Ed Woodward doesn't want to do it, does he? He wants to do it. He wants to be in charge of the deals. He doesn't want to give up that power. He doesn't want to give up that responsibility. Despite the fact he gets an awful lot of flack now, you'd have thought in in some sense he'd be doing himself a favour to let someone else take the take the bullets for him. But um, 
He just doesn't want to give it up. It's as simple as that. Weren't they linked to Rio Ferdinand at some point for that role? Well, this all became very weird because then it became talking to all these ex-players about various different roles and advisory roles and all this. And it wasn't a director of football anymore and it wasn't a sporting director. And it got very confused. I don't think Rio was ever seriously spoken to as a, a director of football as such. You see, the director of football, when we have it on a continental sense, is also in charge of like helping with training methods and having all of, you know, sort of working with the coach. But I feel like Solskjaer is a bit of all of that. He's a manager, right? So he's not just in charge of coaching the team and just dealing with that. He's in charge of also saying what players he would like, what players he doesn't want, um, as well as the training methods, how they are to move forward, how to unite them with the with the youth teams. And so this is the only thing that sometimes I just feel like if you... As we evolve in football, you need to hand different tasks off to different people so you can focus on the thing at hand. Let's just briefly talk about Solskjaer before we move on alphabetically. Um, He's favourite in some places to leave his post first this season. Starts with Chelsea at home and Wolves away. You you could see that being only one point from six, potentially. How much pressure will he be under then? Well, he'll be under a lot of outside pressure. I'd be amazed if internally... They could. It's a it's a bad run he's going into this season on the the end to this. No, it is. Was, but was I mean, I, I think they had to accept that now. You you give him the summer and you go again. And because of who he is, because of the faith they've put in him, because of the problems they've had with recent managers, um, and they haven't been quick to pull the trigger on other managers. They've actually let it get pretty bad um, <laughs> before they've done anything about it. So I, I don't think they they act. Um, too hastily I mean certainly I would be amazed if anything even if it was pretty pretty rank happened before Christmas um, and with so the support Christmas is the earliest the absolute earliest and I, I mean I'd be I'd actually be very surprised if he didn't get the season um, mm. barring some sort of mad disaster um, especially since because it does seem like he's doing a lot more of that kind of not that he's working on the board but there seems to he's be managing up. clear strategy. Like, it, like he knows what it was like under Ferguson, and he's he brings some sort of an aura with him, and like he knows how it used to be done. And maybe at the same time they realise it's a bit of a mess. I don't know who else all been employed in recent times, but there's that the, the players they're buying are ones who are hungry to improve and aren't already made, which has been in the case in the past. It might have been that Alexis Sanchez transfer was the last mistake that Woodward will make or hope to make. The fans at United are patient as well. I mean, that was proven with Mourinho. It's proven with, you know, even Moyes and people. Mm. They don't go for their managers very quickly. So I don't see that you'll be in a situation where the whole of Old Trafford are booing or calling for his head or anything. So I I think he'll be okay barring, you know, if they're in the bottom half of the table, clearly he's got a problem. I don't know. I mean, I I feel like Ed Woodward (laughs) shouldn't have made the the decision to employ him on a full-time contract straight off the bat and I felt like that was a very premature decision without seeing what happened and obviously it had serious consequences so sometimes they are unpredictable because there's you know you don't need to secure this man yet and they were premature in doing that so will they be premature in sacking him because they think actually it's not working out and some players are not listening to him or they they have fallen or potentially they do have a lot of potential in that side they do really well and then we don't need to talk about it but there is a serious for me I I feel like I don't know how to read Ed Woodward because sometimes you think, okay, he's really patient and sometimes he just does things because the fans demand it. He's an interesting character study for sure. JJ, we have reached the midway point of the alphabet and the 13th of the 20 teams in the Premier League. It's Newcastle United, a pretty mad pre-season for them. What do you make of Steve Bruce as their new manager? I mean, I've even just forgotten. <laughs> like, it's so weird that Steve Bruce is the manager. We all knew it was going to happen at some point. 
<laughs> but it is weird, isn't it? Out of nowhere. And as well, who would have thought it would be Steve Bruce is the one to make Newcastle finally spend money on players? They need to, it's a, I don't know. It seems like it's some sort of weird reality we're living in. Here, here's, though, here's a reason to be optimistic. I'm going to read this. Throwback to 29th of July, 2014. Hull City announced the double signing of Harry Maguire and Andy Robertson combined fee £5.35 million. Wow. Steve Bruce. Wow. Can't argue with it. Interesting. Signed no sign John McGinn for Villa for £2 million as well, which is going to look a similar bargain at some point. Steve Bruce got an eye for a player and an eye for a deal. Wasn't there someone behind the scenes at Hull who was doing a bit of transfer business around that well, time? I'm aware of. I think, I, think, I'm, Bruce. I, think that Bruce, I think Bruce is very much responsible for Maguire and Robertson. Is he a good manager? He's not a bad manager. He isn't a bad manager. He is a, a very sort of practical manager and... I don't think he'll be the football will be particularly exciting. Uh, he's pragmatic, but he's not a bad football manager, and he gets it. He gets what Newcastle are about, which I think is important up there. He's just got such a horrible job in a way because that place is so toxic now. I mean, anyone who walked into that job after what happened with Rafa was going to be in a really difficult position because. The fans were still going to be so annoyed with Mike Ashley and so annoyed with what's going on. Is that right? Or do you think Rafa was always going to go to China? And the, I, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I, I not for a second would say Newcastle fans don't have a right to be angry with Mike Ashley. But in this instance, could he have done much to keep Rafa given the money he was offered in China? He could have done more because you could have been sorting out Rafa's contract with various promises or by doing various things a lot earlier on and not let it get to this summer and have your back up against the wall. So, you know, Rafa had him exactly where he wanted him, and that was Mike Ashley's fault, for sure. I mean, it doesn't look great on Rafa that he walked out and went straight to China. I I have some sympathy there, but I think, you know, it's hard to argue with the fact that the root of Newcastle's problems and all the dissatisfaction there is Mike Ashley. And until Mike Ashley goes, whoever you have as manager, whatever players you bring in, that's always going to be there. It makes it such a tough environment to succeed in. I, I do agree with that, but I, I don't... It's strange with Steve Bruce because, okay, just to fall back on the Rafa thing, his family is also in England, so you'd think that he'd probably, if he was offered something really great, that he might choose to stay there. But again, it was... I don't know whether that's a little bit of his fault and a little bit on Mike Ashley as well, but my feeling is that they will play better, like, well, by better football, I think more exciting in the sense that they'll actually attack a lot more than they did last season. I do think that defensively, they'll be a shambolic, uh, to say the least. My worry is that, yes, he's he's somehow picked up some great players and boarded some great buys. And that could be the same again, because we don't know how much, how well these players will integrate within the system. But I, if you want to play a drinking game, then just notice how often he talks about lightning pace. And that's like, it's almost like the only thing that he wants, you know? Oh, you know, we bought in this guy, he has lightning pace. And we have this guy, he has lightning pace. And and everything is about pace. So I'm really worried now that we're just going to have is just like 11 players just running really fast towards goal. Um, and, and no one really likes securing anything at the back. Uh, and he is a good manager, at least in the championship level. But when it comes to the Premier League, 28% win rate. So... But he's got to sign the clubs he was He's managing. at bad teams, yeah. yeah. And, that, that's, and I would say that in his defence as well. And he's got and teams promoted Newcastle's in the past as well. Team? No, but the thing is, like, so Rafael Benitez is undoubtedly a fantastic manager. His CV is superb. Stuff he achieved at Valencia that is, is mental, right? Of course, yeah. However, every single coach, like manager, knows how to set up a team like Rafael Benitez did. It's mm. not, it's, it's, 
you just not coach a, them. Revolutionary. Yeah, exactly. So Steve Bruce can absolutely set them up in a five-four-one, really deep block, like a defensive line along the six-yard box if he wants, and then use lightning pace, <laughs> which is that, which wins you a lot of games if you've got it, and just fly up the pitch, uh, and try and get goals. They've brought in Joe Linton, who I mean, how pacey is he? Compare <laughs> his pace to a weather element. Um, <laughs> uh, Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to describe. He doesn't score, but he's of not goals. that kind of goal. No. He's not that kind of player, but he is. He doesn't have lightning pace. Well, he's. I guess with a striker, it's it's more about acceleration really than okay. lightning. Pace. Lightning acceleration. That'll <laughs> yeah. do. Um, I, I think the lightning pace is the winger Alain Saint Maxima. Yeah, from Nice. Yeah, mm. he, he loves running with the ball. That's his favorite. Loves thing. running with the ball. Um, doesn't offer much by way of defensive contribution, which is always a problem for me. But whatever, maybe that's not required. Um, sensational, eleven goals, fourteen assists. But he's been questioned for his attitude before. And doesn't like authority. I've read. Mm, Patrick Vieira said that if you if you really want to make it, then you have to. Obviously, with Patrick Vieira, he's like you know he, he's like the consummate professional, and he's like you need to learn how to be a consummate professional. That means like eating well, training well, understanding that you're a footballer. So it's about you know you, your lifestyle cannot be the same as every other person in the street. Um, and that was something that that wasn't huge. You know they they didn't like him because of that, I guess. But it's also he's not the most efficient winger i mean he's all entertaining to watch but with the final pass the final goal i don't know that's the thing though you've got that pace you can sit back on the counter and fl- i mean keegan's teams were they just flew forward and then tried to sit back there you go which i understand Steve Bruce, the new <laughs> kevin keegan it's all going to be all right newcastle <laughs> but you're up against mario pochettino and jürgen klopp and pep guardiola and really he's not really though is he because that's not, really. not where they're really batting against if they lose all of those games that's not going to be a okay problem fine them. graham potter yeah, I, he's I up think... against people like that yeah and and, and and i think these guys are probably a little bit more tactical tactically savvy you know but he's probably better at man management and stuff that's and true that that's does, true that does i totally you know, agree as well that knowing just coming from the place just makes a difference i think just understanding what the club particularly in Newcastle yeah. is one of those clubs where I think you do need that if it is toxic it's going to be so difficult to succeed no matter how good a manager you are somewhere it's never toxic is the city of Norwich a delightful place a delightful football team last season what were they like in the championship Matt and how highly did you rate Daniel well, Fark their manager this, they were amazing in the championship because this time last year they were one of the favourites to get relegated they had a terrible August at which point they, at the end of which, they properly discussed whether or not to sack Farker. Um, and they stuck with him. And the, the turnaround was just unbelievable. Um, I mean, pretty much they've kept the same squad together and they're going to have to ask for, the, for these players to, to perform again. I mean, they went young, Max Ahrens, um, very, very highly rated now right back. But this time last year, no one outside Norwich knew who he was, but all their faith in people like him... Um, and it worked out, and they've got this this director of football, Stuart Weber, who seems to be some sort of miracle worker because mm-hmm. he did a very similar job at Huddersfield, um, was completely responsible for Wagner and, and what they were doing there. People like Philip Billing, who Mina loves. <laughs> I don't, um, just, just Huddersfield. <laughs> and that all started to fall apart when Weber went and, and joined Norwich. And people were taking the mickey out of Stuart Weber because he went there and you know, brought in Farker, who, like Wagner, had been the, the Dortmund sort of youth manager or number two manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just accusing him of trying to do the exact same thing. And yet, 
it has worked. And, you know, Timu Puki, who was the championship leading scorer. And may I say, I think he might be the new Grant Holt. Really? Yeah, um, that's a big prediction. I mean, he's got, he's got he's cult hero in he waiting, isn't he? did nothing at Celtic, didn't he? No, he's scored like four or five I mean, or There was no evidence there to suggest that Timu Puki was going to do anything at Norwich, and yet he was sensational. And he's now on a great run of momentum, and we've seen that with people who come out of the championship, that if they have that momentum, they have that confidence, you can then go and score goals in the Premier League. Is that keep they've kept the team together basically, meaning they were promoted with very few additions. Is, there's a lot to be said for that, isn't there? If you have come up on the crest of a wave, you've overachieved, um the, can they keep that going? Is that going to be enough? I think it depends on the kind of team that you are, but his his the the style of football that Falk likes and, and having come from Germany and Borussia Dortmund, it's it's not necessarily transitional, but more about short passes working together. So he relies a lot on chemistry. So like Nuno Espirito Santo at Wolves, he doesn't necessarily, he, he doesn't want to implement too much of a change because then you'll lose the chemistry that's so important between the players. You know, when it's like your fullbacks are flying high and, and joining um, Timu Piku at the top. Thank you. Thank you. At the top. <laughs> um, so, but it's, a, it's an adventurous style of play. And... And while some people have gone so far as to say that, you know, they're a bit naive, I do think that when you watch them in the Carabao Cup last year, that they did have performances in which they actually adapted to the opposition and were impressive. They chased the game, but they're not naive in the way that they did things. So I'm interested to see whether he's going to somehow change that and tweak that when he is playing the bigger sides in order not to, like, concede tons of goals. Um, And they do play this, you know, very effective style of football. I just... Don't know whether the players are going to be of the level because their style of football for me was so much better than what the championship has to offer. And it is almost Premier League style of football. But I don't know whether the players are good enough at this level and have the experience to really do something special. So for me, I feel like they'll get relegated. I mean, Buendia is another player worth worth watching for. He's a sort of attacking midfielder. They bought him in for £1.4 million. Um, and he scored like eight goals in the championship last season. And, you know, he was... This is coming from a Villa fan. He was better than Jack Grealish in the championship last season. He was sensational. And it'll be he's Argentine. It'll be very interesting to see who, how someone like he is does. But they could catch people out. I mean, I think it will be difficult for them, mm. but they could catch people out. I don't think they're going to be whipping boys. Mm. They scored, They conceded 57 goals last season, right? Yeah. And their average age at the back is 22. Like... If, I don't. For me, Dortmund lost the entire league because of the average age of their back line and their inexperience. If you can see that many goals in the championship, then I don't know what's going to happen in the league. They might be more conservative, they might tweak, but at the end of the day, this isn't a back line that has all the kind of experience that you would want. And I do think defence matters because for all of Fulham's beauty going forward in the championship, what happened to them when they were in the Premier League? Very true. Another promoted <laughs> team, JJ Bull, was Sheffield United, who were managed by Chris Wilder. Did some quite unusual things tactically in the championship last year with their centre-backs. Would you like to talk me through those tactics and predict whether or not they're going to use them in the Premier League and if they're going to work in the Premier League? Uh, well, I was wondering whether... So this, the thing they do, it's, um, underlapping or overlapping centre-backs is what they do. So they play a 3-5-2. And um, to quickly explain it, so that the the two centre-backs either side of the, the... So it's always Egan who plays in the, in the centre of the three. And then you've got O'Connell and Basham who uh, move out wide. So when the the wing backs go forward, one of them cuts inside, and then a centre back you just see them running, sprinting. What the hell's going on here? And they're overlapping wide to put crosses in. So they've got some insane number of crosses per game and passes in the final third. Also, like their heat maps are really weird for centre backs as well because they're often in wing positions. Um, 
But when they defend, they defend. So when they defend, it's basically a four-four-two because the wing, but say the left wing, but say the, the other teams attack down the right, the left wing back will go high and try and engage them about halfway. So by by the center circle, they'll try and get them, and then the team tucks around so that the left-sided center back becomes a left back. So it's basically two v one in that regard. So it's always to create overloads. The whole point of the system is to create overloads. But Sheffield United started doing this when they were in League. Uh, Two no, it's League One. Sorry, not League Two. League One, uh, and then did it last year as well. But they always had the majority of possession. They were often in charge of games, so they were able to do it. And teams sat back to defend the low block against them. So to try and break that down, uh, Wilder came up with this way, which even Marcelo Bielsa said was innovative. He had new ideas, and that means that they're allowed to get uh, overloads in wide areas, especially, which helps them get the ball into the box for two strikers. But whether they'll do it now. Because they'll be on the back foot a lot of the time. I don't know whether they'll be able to risk sending them forwards. But Wilder said in an interview recently that they're not going to stop playing the way they did. They got them promoted. And that makes sense. I didn't get any of that. (laughs) It's all right, Matt. Completely lost. Most of the podcast players now, you can play things back at sort of half the speed. So maybe you can... Definitely going to have to replay that. The centre backs go flying forward all the time. Do you think Phil Jayelka will do well? Well, (laughs) can't quite see that, can you? He's definitely playing the centre of that three. (laughs) So... If you go down that squad list, it does look quite championship. It seems to me this is a team where it's just going to be... They've got my favourite story. They've got my favourite story for the season coming up, Ravel Morrison. Mm. I mean, this kid has fascinated me for (laughs) almost a decade. Just like I followed him so closely when he was sort of at the West Ham stage of his career and uh, going on loan to Fulham and things. I've I've just been fascinated by him. He was the chosen one. He was, and and why nobody can get it out of him and his attitude and will anybody ever get it out of him. And I thought he was done for, you know, when he went off to Ostersons, he'd been off in Mexico, went to Ostersons, and I thought that was pretty much the last we were going to hear of Ravel Morrison. So for him to now come back to the Premier League, a club like Sheffield United, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. I mean, Fergie couldn't get it out of him. I mean, you're going to laugh at this, but Sam Allardyce couldn't get it out. Harry Redknapp did, funnily enough, at Birmingham City for a, quite a while. He did really well on loan at Birmingham City. Not so well on at QPR, I seem to remember. No, he may, may as well not have been there, but that applies to plenty of the players. <laughs> Harry Redknapp signed for QPR. Um, but, you know, Chris Wilder's really backing himself with this lad because it does feel like if it goes wrong with Morrison, and this has happened at other clubs, it has a massive effect on the whole club and the whole dressing room. It never seemed to just be about whether Morrison doesn't do well or does do well. It seems to become a thing around the club. So it's a big gamble by him. But I would love, I would love to see it come off. I was there that, that game where he, he scored that brilliant goal for West Ham against Tottenham when it seemed to be coming together for him before he had his whole big fallout with Allardyce. And he's clearly got so much talent. And I would just love watching to see what happens with Ravel this season. He'll have Luke Freeman to teach him all he knows as well. I don't know too much about him. Excellent signing for Sheffield United. He he just looked absolutely class for QPR. Wonderful engine. Tried very hard. Got better while he was with us. Also took the tube to games. You can't argue with that. I do love it a lot, yeah. I I do do wonder whether um, signing Ollie McBurney, let alone signing him for £20 million, (laughs) is at all a sensible idea. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Brilliant stuff from Luciano and Gianluca there as we introduce a Song for Europe Italy edition. Mina, Hello. Conte at Inter. 
Are they going to challenge? Are we going to have a title race in Italy this season? I mean, okay. Hey, hey we, we, we've had one before <laughs> with Napoli. Napoli. You know. no, that's true. That's true. Um, okay, so I know that this is like a Premier League focused podcast. Yeah. But I really do want to like sell the Serie A to you this season because I think Carlo Ancelotti has produced an astonishing squad at Napoli that I really think can do something special. Antonio Conte being back at Inter though is perhaps like headline grabbing, especially because Sadi's at, at Juve and you think he potentially could fail there. Um, but with Conte, the first thing that happened was, you know, the two sort of big guys in the dressing room from... Um, from Nangolan to Mauro Icardi, who was captain, by the way, striker. Obviously, everyone knows him. Just tells them, you don't have a future here. We're going to tell you, you're out. I'm not bothered about this. He wants a great dressing room harmony. He wants players there that want to do everything for the club, that want to bleed for the club, that want to die for, for Inter. And um, he's got one of the best back lines in Italy at the moment with Skriniar. He's got Diego Godin from Atletico Madrid as well. Um, and he's got De Vrij as well. It's it's a terrific back line. You look at that midfield um, and really just the forwards is what's missing. And now they've put an offer in for Lukaku. Um, so and they seem to be very hopeful that they're going to get him because of all the problems that have happened with Juventus. Lukaku is such a Conte player as well. I think he is Lukaku such a Conte player. I but think Lukaku do brilliantly. Under I Conte. also think Conte doesn't know how to pick talent, but uh, you will you you love him. So I do love him. Um, I, I just remember the list that he produced for Juventus of the players that he wanted to uh, wanted to bring in, and, and I just remember thinking I'd rather shoot myself than have any of these players on my team. Uh, one of them was the, ever understated. It does seem extreme. Yeah. The, the, what if, what is that? Uh, winger who went oh, for Arsenal that want, somebody once said he only has pace and nothing Theo Walcott mm. Theo Walcott was the star signing that he wanted to make for Juventus I and also love Theo be, Walcott that could have turned that could have turned you're going to bring Gary Cahill going to be the next, guy that you? changes Juve come on you know like, let's be honest you know like as in he always has these wild ideas sometimes about what makes the difference but Lukaku is this type of player and I think Lukaku would actually do really well under Antonio Conte so much better than I think he would do under Mauro Tussari at Juventus but it's just the, the team ethic you can see how much they're all trying right now They've always been called Pazza Inter, which means crazy Inter because you never know whether they're going to win or lose. So with Conte there, you just feel like they're going to win all the time. And I'm genuinely scared because they've also got Pepe Marotta, who is the ex-CEO of Juventus and the reason why Conte's there now. Well, let's talk about your own Juventus, Mina. All changed there this summer. Sarri's in, Keane's out. Keane, Ken, we've been through this. Dybala <laughs> possibly going as well. Delict, Ramsey, Rabiot all in. Buffon back. Good summer, all told. I mean, it was a great summer to start with, you know, even like just a player centre-back Demaral from Sassuolo was so exciting to many of us because we thought he was astonishingly good for, for Sassuolo. I mean, Tedicht was the cherry on top. It was like we've been dying to renew and rejuvenate that back line. So getting him a big name and not for that much money when you consider how much Harry Maguire is, you just think what a great deal, right? A captain of Ajax. So... But I think it all started to fall apart when they wanted to do that whole exchange with Dybala and Lukaku. Uh, Mario Mandzukic is probably going to go to United eventually. Um, well, they only have a few more days left to, to finish off this transfer. It's just that I, I'd rather keep Higuain and Dybala than have Lukaku, if I'm very honest about it. But my main concern and the one that makes me again want to kill myself is uh, Cancelo and for Danilo. My surprise at this is while Cancelo wasn't good defensively, he's a 60 million euro player. 
And I cannot believe for the life of me that they'd only accept 30 million and Danilo, who has the world's greatest CV without actually doing anything. So <laughs> I am shocked that they'd be okay with this guy to be at the back line. This is the back line that apparently teaches at Harvard, according to Jose Mourinho. And now it has Danilo in it, you know, a guy who got booed in every single game for Real Madrid. And a few players were like, oh, he was a bit harsh. You know, he did all right for Manchester City. Yeah, he's, he's I'm sorry, he's not UV material. And I want to cry that he's, I love, he's on the I pitch. love you sort of channeling a Middle England adolescent boy there with that voice because that's that was, what all the Twitter guys right. said to me when I was like I want to shoot myself if Danilo arrives by the way he was really good at, uh, when he was in Portugal so potentially this guy can recover himself but do you really bet on Maurizio Zari do you bet on this guy I, I don't tend to bet on anything in Italy. I'm very suspicious of that entire league, to be honest. What about <laughs> Atalanta in the Champions League, Mina? What can we expect from them? Oh, this is a really exciting side, but they need a little bit before they click into it. Um, they, it's, it's a team that's based on chemistry. They're so attacking. They scored more goals than any team in Serie A. They were so entertaining to watch, and they were called the Ajax of Italy because, again, their transfer budget is nothing short of ridiculously low. Um, but they have a genius at the helm in Gian Piero Gasparini, and he's obviously created a philosophy and attacking one at that, one perhaps we don't see too often in Italy, if we want to believe all the cliches. But he created a side that was so beautiful to watch, despite all the sales that he made the previous season. And they obviously reached forth, and now we think that they have enough to overwhelm the opponent. My only worry for them is that they'll need a few months to click into gear like they did. They have a tremendous forward line in Juvan Zapata, Ilicic and uh, Papu Gomez but again there could be problems in the sense that seeing from preseason that they are going to get uh, the, the pace of the game might be a bit too much for them in Europe. Just before we leave Europe uh, in, in the context of this podcast not in the other bad way uh, we have <laughs> had some blowback from the argument we had on the podcast on Monday about Zinedine Sedan from Omar Siddiqui who in the comment section of the Daily Telegraph website where we also post this podcast because the year is 2010. He says, I agree Zidane is a rubbish manager. No charisma and no new ideas. You would think someone with his talent would produce a better attack. Pep embarrasses him. That is a throwdown to you, Mina Rizuki. Pep embarrasses him. Uh, yeah, I know, but I, I feel like Pep might be a little bit jealous of the back-to-back Champions League. Okay. That's Zidane's okay. Okay. Massive victory for me there. <laughs> In your face. You've, you've thrown you've thrown down back. Well done. What was his name? Omar Siddiqui. Cheers, Omar. That's your lot for today's episode. We'll be back with you tomorrow. That is Thursday with the final part of our season preview covering the teams in between Southampton and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Five of them left. Please stick with us. You can contact me on Twitter before then if you'd like to. It's at Tom with an H. As always, Gibbs. No, as always. Forget that. You know how to do it. The email address for the podcast, you've heard it throughout the show, is afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. Please get in touch with us with your questions and your thoughts. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club as well. Audio Football Club are the words you need to type into the search engine or just the search function of your choice to get to where you need to go. Again, I'm backing you. You're really intelligent. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 